God, we, we pray this morning, we pray that you, your spirit would speak to our hearts. God, as, as we look to your words, God, may, may we hear that still small voice. God, may, may you transform and work in our life. God, may we see the heart of the law. May we see the heart of Jesus on this Sermon on the Mount. And God, we pray and ask that you would challenge to our hearts and you would speak to us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we are going to be near the end of chapter 5 today, starting in verse 38. I want to tell you a little story first, though. Uh, I was kind of going through a short talk uh, I, I gave on Thursday. And so I was talking to my wife, and I said, Honey, here, I put together this, this, uh, this little short talk. It's about a five- or six-minute talk. Can I just read it to you, and you let me know. I want to know how it flows, how it sounds, and, you know, make sure I'm, you know, funny and all that good stuff. So, so I, I read it to her, and I'm, I'm about maybe a fourth of the way through, and I see her texting on her phone. And I, I, uh, I'm like, Babe. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to go over this here. Can, can you just, you know, listen to me a little bit? She goes, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And so she puts her phone down. I start reading about two more minutes later, and she gets a text, and sure enough, she's on there texting, responding. I'm like, you know, I, I just need, I'm a needy person, so I, I, you know, I want her full undivided attention. She, she looks at me, well, she says to me, well, now you know how it feels. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, the truth hurts sometimes, but, but here's the reality, I think, for many of us, m- my wife, myself, in marriage, in relationships, we, when we feel like we're wronged, like someone has done something that might offend us, or someone has done something that we don't feel like our rights have been taken away, like, how dare you would do that to me? Do you respond oftentimes like I do, like, you know what, I'm going to get even. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but I'm going to get even. I'm going to make sure that, you know, I'm highly offended here. Something is wrong. I got to get even on this. Do you guys ever respond like that? Yeah? I'm not alone. (laughs) A couple of you said no. We'll respond like that because that, that, that is the human heart. The human heart, we, we want to get even. We, we want to make things right. If we feel we were wronged, and whether it be in marriage or whether it be at work or whether it be other some aspect of life, if we feel we were wronged, we feel our rights were taken, taken away, we want to do something about it. We want to get even or we want to make sure our rights are restored. You know, how dare you humiliate me? How dare you make fun of me? How you dare you do these things? And we want to get even. That's how we are. Really, the, the nature of man is that way. And so what we see today here in Matthew chapter 5 is we see a different way. We see a way of a follower of Jesus. We see the way of a disciple. 
that when a disciple is wronged, when a disciple of Jesus has their rights taken away, how they respond. And so in Jesus and in his teaching, we see a different way. Listen to these words from Jesus. Matthew 5, 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone who wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's a different way, isn't it? Here's the deal. The law was set up, and as we've talked about, God has put the law in place, and the law is a beautiful thing. It's a reflection of who God is. So it's there, and it's there for a reason. If you'd read through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and read the law, God has established right in there, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. In fact, three times in the first five books, he sets up this principle of equal restitution, like here. And other places are going to reinforce it. You're going to see statements like hand for hand, foot for foot, fracture for fracture, burn for burn, wound for wound, strike for strike, and even life for life, set up in the law. Now, as Western people, and we look at this, we, we might think, that, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Like, someone's wronged you, restitution, they've done this to you, this is going to be done to them. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, so on. That, that's how it's set up. But the reason it's there, the reason the law was enacted, wasn't because it was too harsh, it actually helps prevent evil. God has put it in place, because again, what's the tendency of man? What's the tendency of our heart? Our heart says, you wrong me, I'm going to get even. You, you look at the story of the Hatfield and McCoys, right? The biggest feud probably in American history. These two families would go at it for like 100 years. And you can see times when it escalated. One time it escalated because one family, I don't remember which family, one family supposedly stole a pig from another family. And then it went to trial, and after the trial, several people were murdered. It all started because of a pig. Read a story this week. Two brothers get into a fight over a cheeseburger. One brother kills the other over a cheeseburger. This is the heart of man. The heart of man is evil. The heart of man seeks revenge. How dare you? How dare you take from me? I'm going to get my revenge. And so God has put this in place really to prevent evil. And so this is this. You can go all the way back to, to the start. You can go all the way back. Adam and Eve, they had two kids, right? They, well, they had more than two. But you look at the story of Cain and Abel right there. Cain becomes jealous of this offering that Abel gave. And what is his response to that? He seeks revenge. He takes his life. And so we see it all the way back there. And you read through the Bible and you can see these stories of people, because of their heart condition, seeking to make things right. Oh, how dare you take my rights? And they seek revenge. And so God has put this in place. And so now we come to the time of Jesus. And at the time of Jesus, by this time, 
restitution oftentimes meant that you would be some payment, okay? So they began to teach this, and this became part of their law, that restitution now, if you wrong someone, there would be a monetary payment with it. And so the Pharisees, teaching the law, teaching this law, oftentimes, like they did with many things, they, they would abuse and misteach this law. And so what they would allow for within their teachings and now understand, first of all, that, that God set this law up as a civil law, not as a personal command. Okay, you can go back and you can see the law that it was set up in a way in which if you wrong someone, then the leaders of Israel then would take it upon themselves to make sure things were set right. It wasn't, you know, someone comes to me, they, they steal my pig, and then I go and I steal their pig or something like that. It was not a personal command. It was not allowing me then to go and seek and act revenge for myself. It was the religious leaders. Well, what, what, uh, it was the, the leaders of Israel at the time. But what now has happened at the time of Jesus, the Pharisees here misteaching this law, and they're beginning to teach the people that you, on a limited basis at least, could defend your own rights. You could go and you could seek restitution, and you could do it on a personal level. And so Jesus comes along, and what he wants us to understand is he wants us not to see, okay, here is the law, we must follow it, but to see the heart of the law. Like everything else that we've been reading and studying about here in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about what's laid out, but it's about the heart. And that's what Jesus continually wants to get at, the heart condition. And so here Jesus is now, now teaching, and I think the greatest example of how we respond to the law. So the Pharisees would teach the law a certain way and say, here's what you must do. Jesus would come along, and as he taught the law, he wanted to get behind the heart of it, right? We wanted to see the heart of God and interpret, interpret the law correctly. I think a great example of how we as individuals respond to God's law is seen in a story, in a parable that Jesus gives. There's a parable in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus is telling the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee, and they're both going to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee comes up, and here, standing in front of everybody, he, he's praying to God, and really, in his prayer, praising himself for the good deeds that he's done. Right? I am a righteous man. I've done well. I've followed the law. All of that. And then the tax collector stands off to the side, and begins to cry out, begins to beat his chest and says, God, have mercy on me. And so what I think what Jesus wants us to understand is he wants us to understand as we look at the law and how we respond to the law, do we respond like the Pharisee? You know what? I got this. I got this under control. Oh, yeah, don't do this. Don't. Oh, man, got it. Or are we like that tax collector? That we look at the law and we see the righteousness of God and we see that we cannot measure up. And we realize, I brought it up the last time I spoke, Nick brought it up last time, that the law is there, that we must follow the law, but we can't follow the law. And so then there's this great divide, and this is where, like that tax collector, beating our chest, God, have mercy on me. We realize we can't measure up to God's righteousness, and there is this great need that only Jesus can fulfill. Right? We've talked about it. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He didn't come to get rid of it, but he came to fulfill it. He fulfilled it perfectly in the perfect life that he lived and in his death on the cross. 
He came to fulfill that law. And so now we see this, and our response should be, as disciples of Jesus, is to recognize God's perfection and our lack of holiness in comparison. And here, in, as he does throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes actually farther than what the law says. And he explains to those who are disciples that those who are disciples are going to have a certain attitude and response to when they are wronged. When someone has done something against us, someone has taken our rights, what is our rights, we respond differently. And so that's what we're going to see. And this is a difficult thing because like everyone, our heart condition says, you can't take what's mine. How dare you do that to me? Shame on you for wronging me. That's our heart condition. But Jesus is telling us something different, to go against our natural inclinations. And we see it here, verse 39, or verse 38 here. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. So, Mike, many times Jesus comes along and he says, okay, we've heard it said. This is what the law has said. Now, I'm going to tell you what the heart of the law is. The Pharisees at this time, they said, okay, you can, you can exact revenge if someone has taken, you know, eye for eye, something, somebody's done something, you can do it back to them. But Jesus comes along, and what does he say? I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Drastically different from what the Pharisees are saying. Drastically different from what the law says. Law says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Jesus says if someone has wronged for you, wronged you, someone is wronging you, don't resist them. Drastic difference in what Jesus is saying here. Now, I think we need to be careful. Like many times when we're reading the words of Jesus, we don't want them to mean something that Jesus did not intend them to mean. Okay, just because Jesus says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but he says, hey, someone's wronging you, coming after you, so be it. I think the heart of Jesus is what we're after here. And so we don't want to take Jesus' words as he's talking about a law and then turn it in to some other law. Right? There are times we would never imagine that a wife who's being physically abused would stay in a home with, some, with the abuser. Same thing with a child. If we look or we see someone who is his physically being harmed, there's a call to action for us, right? I would think there is. And I think, so the, to look at this and just to put some blanket statement that, you know, hey, if you're, someone's coming after you, just turn the other cheek, we're done with it. That's not the heart of what Jesus is getting at. And we're going to see that as we go through here. Um, keep in mind that all of these things, and we're going to see four different things, that they're illustrations, that Jesus is illustrating a point. They are examples They're examples about our rights, not an example necessarily about the three things. We want to get to the heart of what we're talking about here. So look at the first one. First one says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I need a volunteer for this. Bob, thank you. Bob, come up here. No, I want you, Bob. I want somebody that won't strike me back. Come here, Bob. Yeah, take your glasses off. Okay, so here's the deal. Here's what it says. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one also. Okay, so you stand right here. Okay, who's right-handed? 
Everybody raise your hand if you're right-handed in the audience. Okay? Most of us are right-handed, right? Most people are right-handed. Okay, just stand still. All right. I'm right-handed, as most people are right-handed. I always thought it'd be cool to be left-handed. I, for some reason, I thought that'd make me a better athlete, but, you know, when you got your dad and your mom and they are who they are, you're not. So, anyway, so here, here's, here, I'm right-handed. Bob, which, which one's your right cheek? Yes, that's Bob's right cheek. So, if I'm right-handed and I'm striking Bob on, now, don't miss this small detail. Okay, oftentimes, we read this passage and we look at it and we see, oh, turn the other cheek. But it says if they strike you on the right cheek, okay, so there's some significance here because it's kind of hard. If I'm going to strike Bob to strike him on his, this is his right cheek over here, you know, it just doesn't make sense. I kind of hit like, probably I shouldn't there. What he's saying here, okay, is simply that this is not like this, but it's a backhand, okay? And so when Jesus is talking about striking on the right cheek, he's talking about a backhand. I'm not going to do it to you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. You can take a seat now. That was close. That, that's, that's what we're looking at here. What Jesus is saying is that the strike on the right cheek is actually a backhand. It was one thing if somebody would strike you. And like we talked about, there was restitution that would need to be paid for a strike. However, as disrespectful as it was to strike someone, it was considered twice as disrespectful if they would strike you with their backhand. And in fact, the restitution that had to be paid was twice as much as a normal strike. And so what Jesus is talking about, oftentimes we look at this and we say, okay, Jesus is talking about violence. But I think as we look at it closer, it, that, yes, there, there is somewhat of a violent act. You know, a strike isn't as violent. I think if Jesus really wanted to make a statement about violence, he probably would have talked about loss of limb or even loss of life. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus specifically talking about this backhand. And what he's saying, he's talking about your rights. Okay, he's talking about your position. If someone has disrespected you, disrespected you twice as much with this backhand, then he's saying, hey, if they've shown you that disrespect, then allow them to show you more disrespect. We don't want to take his words out of context. We want to make sure that we know it. You know, oftentimes people will use this and they'll talk about, make a case for pacifism. And then Lee, uh, also Leo Tolstoy, you know him, his belief where they would use this to speak against military or police. Again, this isn't the point Jesus is making, right? Jesus' point, although there is some violence in this, Jesus' point in this is one of honor or dishonor and disrespect. This is what Jesus wants us to get at. I think as we look at the words of Jesus anytime, we don't want to just single out some portion and say, okay, this is it. We need to take all, all of Scripture, right? I mean, look at Jesus himself. If you go to John chapter 18, in John chapter 18, Jesus is on trial, and Jesus is sitting there and he is struck in the face, okay? Struck in the face. His response to this was not to turn the other cheek. His response is basically he calls them out for their actions. And so what it is, it, and, and understanding, because we know Jesus and who he is and his words, 
that it has to work, right? This all has to fit together. And so understand, Jesus' response in John chapter 18 is not a response of revenge. It's not a response of like, how dare you do that to me? But he's essentially rebuking the religious leaders, right? It's it's not a revenge, but it's a actually a response that is very godly. And so as we look at this, the response here, and as we look at the portion here in Matthew chapter 5, we want to understand that it's one of rights, it's one of respect. And I think the lesson for us, and first of all, I think there's a great example of what this means, Acts chapter 5, the story of, of the disciples. In Acts chapter 5, they've been preaching the name of Jesus, they go before the Sanhedrin, and, this, and basically it's determined, all right, let's let them go, but I want you to take them outside, I want you to beat them, flog them, send them on their way, and tell them never to preach the name of Jesus before. They were humiliated, they were disgraced, their rights were taken from them, and listen to their response here in Acts chapter 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace, from his name. Their rights were taken away. Their reputation was taken away. They were beaten. They were flogged, yet they counted it as joy. What an honor that this could happen to me. For us, this can play out in a number of different ways. You know, you think about whether it be in a marriage relationship, like my wife, or it, or it plays out in work or something like that. Someone wrongs me. Someone does something to me. I think in my job all the time where something may happen, I'm like, how could, they, how could that person do that? You know, why would they do that? I feel wronged. And yet my, my initial response is what? I'm going to get even. I'm going to show them. Yet the response of a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, who feels they've been dishonored, is to turn the other cheek, to take a different path. This is how a follower of Jesus is to respond. Moving on, verse 40. It says, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone wants to sue you, and the words here are tunic and cloak, so I can tell you which each of those are. If someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. Now, we need to first understand that clothing in that day is a little bit different than clothing in this day. You know, selling houses, sometimes I'll walk into homes where the master closet is bigger than most of the bedrooms, all right? People have a lot more clothes today than they did back then. My wife and I spent this week purging, right? We, we were going to get rid of a bunch of clothes that we no longer wore, uh, or she didn't think I looked good in anymore. Uh, so we went through and we started boxing up all of these items to send off to Goodwill. Well, in these days, these were prized possessions, right? Well, G- you remember the story of Jesus on the cross being crucified and how they cast lots for his clothing because clothing was actually pretty rare, expensive, hard to come by. And so understand that as we, we see what Jesus is saying here first. If someone would sue you and take your tunic, and your tunic would kind of be your, you know, your, your clothing, your outerwear here, let them have your cloak as well. Your cloak was kind of this robe that you had. 
Not only was it a robe that, that you would wear, but it was also serve as your blanket at night. Okay, so it was kind of important because it kept you warm, right? It would be part of your clothing, but then it kept you warm at night. It was so crucial, in fact, that, uh, that the cloak was so vital that the law of Moses said that if a cloak was given in a pledge to the poor, right, you, you, you pledged it, and this was a poor man that had given his cloak, that you had to return the cloak at night. Okay, so if I'm poor and I lost, whether it be a lawsuit or, or some sort of pledge to somebody, I had to give them my cloak, they would have to give it back to me at night so could I, I could have it and I could sleep and be all warm. So the point was, they thought it was so vital to a person, part of their rights. Hey, you as a human, you, you have these rights and you get to keep your cloak because you wouldn't be able to stay warm if you didn't have it. So they were looking out and part of, part of the law stated you could have it back at night. So this is in place. Well, what Jesus is saying here is that go ahead and give me your clothes, but now let them keep that cloak as well. Oftentimes we look at this and we say, okay, I better give them this and this, and we just need to keep giving and giving, and, and, and that's great. The heart of that is great. But the point of it is, again, it comes down to your rights, to your position. And what Jesus wants us to see is, yes, give them that tunic, but your cloak, which you own and can keep by law, give them that as well. This is the position and this is the place of a follower and disciple of Jesus, one that puts others ahead of themselves, one that looks to the interest of other people above their own. So what he's telling us is a disciple of Christ must not stand on my rights and demand what is due him. And we could. He's saying, according to the law, someone could go and say, I lost my, my tunic and my cloak. I could go and I could demand it back. By law, I could demand it back. But he's saying, go ahead and give that up. I think the, the whole process in, in what Jesus is pointing at as we look at this, see, someone could humiliate you, right? They could take you to court. They could take your belongings. They could take all these things and again, the natural reaction, the natural response of man is to say, you know what, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get my stuff back, and I'm going to take it another level. Kind of like the story of the Hatfield and McCoys where they took that pig. You know what, who cares about the pig now? I'm going to go get my revenge. And eventually it led to loss of life because that is the human heart. And Jesus says, a disciple, someone who follows me, their heart says, okay, you can have this, but you you can take this as well, because it's about my position. It's about my rights. And someone who is a follower of Jesus knows that there are far greater things in terms of the kingdom than what we see here on earth. Verse 41, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Okay, what, what, what are you talking about? someone forces me to go a mile, go with them two miles. Well, what, there was actual law, and, and to, to know what Jesus is talking about, we need to know what the actual law was. The law stated that a Roman soldier, remember at the time, the Israelites were under oppression from the Roman Empire. And there is a law at the time that if I'm a Roman soldier, I can go up to an Israelite and I can tell him, you are going to carry all my equipment, my bag, my tools, everything, 
for a thousand paces, which was one mile. And so, by law, they would have to pick all my stuff up, and they would have to carry it one mile. And you can imagine how humiliating this is. First of all, they're a Gentile. I'm a Jew, and here they are. I've got to carry their stuff. I could be sitting there walking down the street with my kids. They could come up to me. It didn't matter what I was doing. I could be working. I could be hanging out with my family. I could be on my way to the temple. Whatever it might be, they could come up to me. They could tell me, all right, you're taking my stuff. You're walking a thousand paces. By law, I would have to do it. And so you can imagine the humiliation in that. First of all, a Gentile. First of all, here they are in front of my family, or here they are, and I'm trying to get things done. Whatever it might be, it would anger. It would humiliate. And yet, what does Jesus say? If someone asks you to walk, forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Jesus is telling us, don't just begrudgingly go that and do that, but take it further. Instead of going a thousand paces, go two thousand paces and have the right heart condition in doing it. Jesus is telling us, as he often does, that our righteousness needs to exceed what the letter of the law states. Now, again, we need to be careful because we can look at something like this and we can say, okay, the law at the time said go a thousand paces. Jesus says go 2,000. So if I go 2,000, I've arrived, right? But I'm not going to go 2,001. It ends at 2,000. But again, we would miss the heart of what Jesus is trying to tell us, right? The heart is not saying, hey, go above and beyond, Go the extra mile. That's not what Jesus is trying to get at. Jesus is trying to get at, again, a position, a heart. It's a concept of where our heart condition is at and our position of where we are. This is what Jesus wants us to get at. And so here he is. He has laid these three illustrations out to make the point that disciples of the kingdom of heaven don't live their lives around their own rights, right? They don't live it based on my position, on my rights. See, the Pharisees would adjust the law so they could do whatever they could to lawfully stay in place, to see how far they could go. But Jesus is different. And followers of Jesus, we examine the law and we see something different on what Jesus wants. Jesus wants a new society, doesn't it? We talked about it last time, but Jesus wants a, a, a city within a city. Jesus wants to be, us to be a light. Jesus wants us to be that lamp. This is what we are to be. We are to be a different kind of city. We're to be a different kind of society that stands out. And so when Jesus is going through the Sermon on the Mount, this is what he wants us to see. That when people look at us, we hold to these things different. We don't seek revenge because we know there is something greater. The last one, verse 42. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow money. Here he is, and he's bringing these final three illustrations together. And he's telling us the one who is a follower of Jesus will feel the liberty in giving to those in need. And why? Because of our heart condition. Now, again, if you look at this, 
Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I, I think if we just said this is a blanket statement again here, Jesus taking Jesus' words and making another law, that it'd probably never end, right? That someone all the time could come up and they could ask me to give, give, and give, and I could give until I have no more. And sadly, I think we recognize that there are many people that might ask that are going to turn around and maybe use the money for something that would bring destruction to their life. And so I think it's still important for us to be wise and to understand that, it again, it's dealing with a heart condition, not a blanket principle that, okay, we got to, if someone asks, I have to give. That, that's not what Jesus is getting at. In fact, you can read in, in 2 Thessalonians 3.10 where, where Paul says, if someone is not willing to work, let him not eat. It sounds like a harsh statement. And so we got to balance that out a little bit. And if I'm going to err, I definitely want to err on the side of being generous and being giving. But we need to understand that just giving for the sake of, hey, someone asks, well, we don't want to give in to someone's destruction. But we want to make sure that we are giving freely uh, and out of our heart. So the disciple of Christ, and I think what Jesus is trying to get at here is we must be generous, and we need to be generous in a wise and a a strategic way. But the bottom line, I think, of all of these principles that Jesus wants us to understand and wants us to grasp is the idea that, listen, it's not about the violence of it. It's not about giving up my cloak or my, my tunic. It's about where your heart is. It's about where your rights are and what you think of your rights and not trying to hang on to what I think is rightfully mine. And as someone has wronged me that I go and I get even. The heart of all of this really can be seen in Jesus. And we're going to take the bread and the juice here in a minute and we're going to remember what Jesus has done. This greatest example, Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. Christ gave his life up. Jesus gave his life up, his position for you and I. And because of this example that he's given, we are called to follow a similar path, take a similar position as Jesus did. I want to read in Philippians chapter 2 because it's a picture I think, of what Jesus is trying to illustrate here. With what our heart condition should be, what we as followers of Christ and the position that we take. Here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility... Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. The heart of Jesus and the heart of a disciple and follower of Jesus should be exactly that. That that's the heart of Jesus and the heart of people who follow him is to put others above ourselves, look to the interest of others, to not worry about my rights or my position, but to that of others. 
It continues on, it says, Who, being in very nature God, speaking of Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is the ultimate example for us, isn't it? Jesus going to the cross. Jesus emptying himself, becoming nothing. And for who? For you and for me. He has set that ultimate examples, and we are called to be imitators of him. We're going to take some time to remember Jesus. We're going to take some time to take the bread and the juice and remember this incredible thing that Jesus has done, how his body was broken, how his blood was shed. So as we take the bread and the juice, remember this great thing that Jesus has done for us. And we give up our rights. But here's the beautiful thing. When we know and we trust in Jesus, we take on His rights. Far greater than any earthly right that we could have is taking His. And now, because of that, I've been adopted, I've been redeemed, I've been bought back, I have new life in Jesus, and what an amazing thing that is. Let's pray. God, we thank You. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You for His teachings here on the Sermon on the Mount. God, we want to look at His teachings and we want to see the heart behind it. God, help us not to take His words and turn it into some other law that we need to follow, but rather see the heart, the heart of someone who doesn't seek to get even, doesn't seek revenge, does not seek our own rights, but instead, God, we look to others. We think of others better than ourselves. God, we thank You for Jesus, His work on the cross, and the ultimate example of this. Thank You for His life that was lived. Thank You for the new covenant we have in His blood. Help us to remember Him and worship Him this morning. It's in His name we pray. Amen. In uh, Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, I love how it opens up because it makes the statement that this life is not about you. What an awesome thing when we can realize that. And I think that's what Jesus in this passage is, is telling us, to give up our rights, to realize that this is not about us. I love uh, Philippians 2, and I want to leave it for you one more time. This is the heart of Jesus. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. That we could have that kind of heart. See, when we have that kind of heart, the heart of Jesus, we begin to impact and change the world around us. People begin to take notice of our lives, to see that we live different. That's what we want. When people see that, they're drawn to Jesus. They're drawn to the kingdom. They're drawn to, to want and desire change in their own life. Let's sing one more song together before we leave today.